Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. How can we know what to do when the world asks us to compromise our faith? The problem and difficulty is often not the compromise itself, but the way it is presented to us. It is not unusual for someone to present a situation to us as if they are compromising, when in reality, you are the person that is being asked to compromise. Abraham found himself in this situation in Genesis 14. He shows us how to think these situations through and emerge faithful and victorious. Today, let's let Abraham teach us all in the conclusion of Pastor Jim's message, Which King Will You Follow? Now here comes the temptation, verse 21. Now the king of Sodom, again, remember evil doesn't take a day off, said to Abram, hey, pass the wine, we can party and celebrate. No, he doesn't. Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. Another version says, give me the people and keep the possessions that we stole. We stole, when you would, when you would conquer kings, you would take their stuff. Why? To weaken them. You keep the stuff for yourself. Now, realistically speaking, Abram could have kept everything, but you have to realize what a huge political mess that would be. Remember we said before uh, last week that what would happen was you would conquer a group of people, then you would take their stuff and you would have tribute, you have them pay taxes, and that would only go on for so long and then there would be a rebellion. Abram is not there to take these people by force, he's there to take them by grace. He's there not to take the possession of the land by force. He's there to get it by by gift from God. And there will be a rebellion, which he'll have no time for. A lot of us, you ever find yourself in life, you find yourself involved in so many time wasters. You're not focused on the things that you know God wants you to be focused on. But what's he trying to do? He's trying to get Abraham into his camp. He's trying to get Abraham into his way of thinking and ultimately... Under his rule, he's trying to trick Abraham so the king of Sodom has a deal for Abraham. Notice how different his attitude is than Melchizedek's. No thank you for the rescue. Although he provides a great example for us. When you help people in the name of God, do not expect thanks. If they thank you, well, you lost some points in heaven. If they thank you, which is polite to thank people, you should thank people when they help you. It is polite. But but don't expect it. You'll just end up disappointed. And there's no mention of God's role in the victory. None. He doesn't go, hey, man, you're God. He's awesome. He might want to do something like this. I got a plan. I was thinking of it. None of that. Why? He knows that if God is not the victor, then God has no claim on the people. See, if God is the victor, then he has a claim on the people. If he's not the victor, he has no claim on the people. Therefore, sin and death will continue to still have its claim. That's why the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important. And your and my response to it. You see, the king of Sodom is a picture of, of what the world is after. The king of Sodom is a picture, is what the unseen evil world 
is after and how subtle it is as it hunts us down. It hunts after the hearts and souls of men and women. You see, the king of Sodom, he comes in and he makes it sound like he is compromising. When in reality, he is asking Abraham to compromise. Abraham, look at this plan I have for you. You can be rich and all the people will love you. You get to keep all of the money and you'll set the people free. You give them to me and everybody will think what a guy Abraham is. But again, from a previous lesson, when him and Lot looked over the land, Abraham sees with the eyes of faith. Verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high. There's another term, same there, fourth time. The possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap. In other, in other words, he says, I will not take the smallest little thing, the lowest value little thing, and that I will, I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. He's like, I know what you're going to do. You're going to take the people and you're going to say, I cut a deal with them and I made them rich. I don't want anything. I don't want anything from you. Take it all. I don't, I don't want anything. Except, he says, only that the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me, Anner, Eshkol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Now, this is very interesting. He says... Listen, they ate some stuff, that's it. They can keep it. They're also entitled to a portion of the battle for their duties. Let them keep it. You know, let the men who went with me, those guys, let, let them keep it. Now, you might say, why does Abraham say to them, I'm not keeping it, you're not keeping it? Do you know why that is? Because, loved ones, you can't force discipleship on other people. You can't. We often say that, that following God is often more caught than taught. You model it for people, but you can't force it. The Apostle Paul says, I don't want you to give to, to the Lord out of compulsion, but willingly. For God loves a cheerful giver. Very interesting. Very interesting that God picks out very few people that he considers special. But God loves a cheerful giver. So if you're like, ah, here you go, God, here's a little bit of money. It's a few shekels. God's like, oh, keep your money, please. But even if you're a kid and you're putting a dollar in the offering or the change, sometimes the guys in the offering go, what do we do with this change? I'm like, you count that, man. That, that could be big money. <laughs> Heaven could be like, that quarter, man, that's big stuff. Well, put in by some five-year-old, man, dude. <laughs> you know what that is as a percentage of his money? And so you can't force discipleship. So here's, here's the choice that Abraham faces and we all face. Sodom or Salem. Which king will you and I follow? Sodom represents, let's call it the great shortcut. Melchizedek, he represents the cross-centered life. 
a life that Abraham is committed to. You see, by giving 10% of his wealth to God, Abram has shown us that he has money, but money doesn't have him. And I know a lot of wealthy people who have money, but it doesn't have them. And I know a lot of wealthy people who money has them. And I know a lot of not-so-wealthy people who don't have much money at all, but money has them. They just are more focused on stuff and possessions than they care to admit. Also, Abram will not allow anyone other than the Lord to get credit for his success. Not even himself. Now, does that mean we still have to work hard at the Lord's work? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But we give the credit to God. You, you notice before the message, I prayed that, that God would work in our hearts. That doesn't mean that I haven't spent hours with this text. I spent Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, and a little bit of yesterday with it, and another hour and a half this morning. Don't think anything of it. That's my job. Asking God, what's the simplest way to communicate it so people could understand it? But honestly, I know they're just words unless God affects it in your heart. So that's why I say, Lord, I'm just going to just do what I can do. But Lord, you've got to do the work in the people's hearts, and the people have to respond to you, not to me. Abraham shows us that he trusts the Lord, he's loyal to the Lord, as he stands where many of us often stand. He stands at the crossroads of faith. He shows us that he's a disciple of Salem, not Sodom. He refuses to fall away. And here's the question for all of us. Are, are you and I, are we going to be like Abram, Abraham? Are we going to refuse to fall away? Now, here's what I don't want you to do with that remark. I said, I want you to, ref are you going to refuse to fall away? I don't want you to feel guilty. That's the cheap man and woman's way out. I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to make a choice. God wants me to make a choice. Not to feel guilty. Oh, I haven't been walking with God. Done. His mercies are new every morning. Done. In the past. What about now? What about today? What about tomorrow? Don't feel guilty. Make a choice. And don't rest on your laurels. Church is littered with people who once walked strongly with God and now barely do it all or don't at all. Sodom offers Abraham a chance to buy his way into the promises of God. I mean, if he gets all that money, he the promised land, God promised him the land, right? He could just rationalize it. Oh, this is how I'm going to get it. I get all this money, I go out and I start scooping up properties. That's how I'm going to get it. But faith trusts, and faith watches for God's blessing. Now, maybe that would be the way for you. I don't know, but it's, he knows it's not the way for him. Going to save those people when they captured was an extremely dangerous venture, 
But this is much more dangerous because right now, Sodom is attacking Abraham's faith and trust. Sodom or sin will always offer you a deal, will always offer you a shortcut. But Salem, Jerusalem, Salem, peace through Jesus Christ offers you a destiny, offers you a security, offers you an eternity. May God Almighty help us all to be focused on today, but also to have eyes to see far beyond today. To be in the game today, but to walk and live in such a way that we're in the game tomorrow. Abraham had to wait for God to give him the land, even if it meant dying before the day he got the land, and he won't get it till the next life, that is faith. Maybe God has promised you something, and maybe you're not going to get it in this life. And you're okay with it. That is faith. The temptation for us to cut corners and compromise and think we will still get God's blessing is real. And God says, no. Well, if any of you are a little bit chilly right now in this room, it's going to get a little hot for a couple minutes. Sodom represents the test of sexual purity and sexual integrity. Will we wait for God's plan or will we give in to the pressure? Sodom tempts our business integrity. Will we be honest in our business dealings? Will we be honest with our customers? Will we be honest with our taxes? Will we give our employer a full day's work? Or do we expect to be paid for doing next to nothing? Sodom tests our financial integrity before God. Will we keep all our own money and possessions for ourselves? Or will we trust the Lord? You see, Sodom is the king of self. Sodom does what Sodom wants to do. But Abraham chooses the glory of God above everything else in his life, and he trusts God with everything because he's fully committed. That's a big challenge in a church like ours. It really is. People often ask me, so what, what kind of your church, man? Like, 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 what kind of people come to your church? And I always say, our church is a very unusual type of place. Typically, people who really want to follow hard after God love our church. And typically, people who know nothing absolutely about God love our church. But the people in the middle, they hate our church. <laughs> well, they certainly hate me. And it's interesting, you say, why would the people who know nothing about God like the church? I think it's because they look at the people in the middle and they go, there's got to be more to this faith and God thing than the way they live. 
And so it's easy in a church like ours to, for many of us that we're probably more committed than a lot of other Christians or people who would say they're Christians. But the real question remains, are we fully committed? Half-hearted commitment is a chronic disease in the American church. And now some of you are going, oh, now you're really beating us up here, Pastor Jim. Let me be perfectly honest with you. I think it's worse among pastors than it is among the people in the pews. Many of you know the story of a, of a very good friend of mine who is a pastor, felt the call, and he said he didn't want to become one because of the tremendous reputation pastors have for being lazy. And you know what? A lot of them are. Very, very lazy. I remember when I first became a pastor, the first thing was they joked with me as all the guys in the room made me turn around. They wanted to look at how big the target on my back was. Very encouraging. <laughs> and the second thing was I realized that I had not arrived, but now the real work had begun. And please pray for me this. These people are asking me, pray for me. How can I pray for you? You know, the biggest thing I always pray is that I don't do anything stupid. And then some of you go, no, really. I go, no, really. <laughs> I always tell people if they go, well, I'll bill you. Will you pay me? I go, listen, if I don't pay you, you can get me on the cover of the Daily Record. Trust me, they'd love to hear about me <laughs> not paying you. But um, pray that I never lose that mindset that the work has just begun that I haven't arrived and I never will arrive and I got to work hard every day as long as God gives me the ability. So how do we get there? How do we get to be fully committed? We stay close to Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life and the wine of joy. And the closer you stay to Jesus, let me tell you this, I know, the more Sodom loses its appeal. So two kings came to Abraham. To one he said, I won't take a thing from you. To, other, to the other he said, here, please. Let me offer part of my riches that you gave me to you. And let me offer my life to you. Ultimately, we must stay close to one king. Ultimately, we will stay close to one king. And Melchizedek points us to Jesus, the perfect king of righteousness, who reversed the lesser giving the offering to the greater. He reversed it. Jesus himself was the greater who gave himself an offering for you and for me, the lesser, on the cross. Now, Melchizedek was also a priest. Long before priests came from the family of the tribe of Levi, or what we call the Levitical priesthood, uh, which came through the law of Moses. So Melchizedek was before the priesthood of Moses. Just like next, we're going to see that grace came before the law. Marquee Old Testament passage. I'm bursting at the seams. I won't give you the sermon now. New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 20, in the second half of the verse says this. Even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, you're, people would be like, well, what order? I don't know anything about this guy. 
We know the Levitical priesthood that Moses gave us. We, we know that order of, of Levi, but we don't know the order of Melchizedek. What is that? Well, in the next chapter, Hebrews 7, verse 3, we hear about this order of Melchizedek. It says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, in other words, no family ties, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God remains a priest continually. And so what does Melchizedek represent to us? He points us to the eternal priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who fulfilled all three Old Testament offices, Jesus the prophet, the priest, and the king. That same chapter, Hebrews 7, verses 14 through 19. In fact, 6 through 8 is this whole, 7 through 9 is this whole big chap, you know, this whole big section. But uh, verse 14, chapter 7, for it is evident This again, after Jesus has ascended into heaven. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And yet it is far more evident in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. What's he doing? He's quoting Psalm 110. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope, that would be Jesus through which we draw near to God. Like Melchizedek, Jesus came seemingly out of nowhere. He was not born of a priestly family. John tells us in chapter 1 that Jesus had no beginning. He is the eternal God-man. He rose from the dead. He has no end of life. And while the Levitical priesthood focused on succession, Jesus is the true Melchizedek without successor who once again gave himself as an offering for you. Unlike priests of the Old Testament who offered sacrifices on the cross, our great high priest Jesus Christ, God become a man, himself was the sacrifice. That's why Hebrews 10.10 says he was offered once for all. That's why when we have the Lord's table, we don't re-offer Jesus. This sacrifice has been done once for all. We remember what Jesus did for us. To all who put their trust in him, Jesus offers to you the forgiveness of sins and the power of an endless life. Like Abraham, we all need a king. We all need Jesus. We need him in our greatest successes. And we need him in our greatest failures. We need him every day, and we need him for all eternity. You see, Abraham did a good deed for Lot. We might say it was a good work for Lot. But Abraham also knew that despite that good work, 
He needed to choose a king, a king that could save his soul, and a king that he had to faithfully follow here on earth. Like Abraham, we also needed a priest, but not an earthly one. We need an eternal priest, one who can take us home to heaven. Famous verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Friend, the king of Sodom has come, and the king of Sodom has come to destroy your life. Jesus came to save your life, and Jesus came to give you life. A life that he says is abundant, and a life that he says is eternal. So friend, let me ask you this. Which king will you follow? Today, Jesus invites you to come. To come to the king of righteousness. To come to the king of peace. To come to the great high priest. To come to the God most high. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.